You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Ryan Johnson. He's the creative manager for Compassion International. Ryan, thanks for being on the show. Oh, so so fun to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Can you share uh, a little bit about your background with us so we have some context for, for what we're going to talk about today and um, and maybe share how you got started in video production and storytelling? Yeah, sure. So um, I was that kid in junior high, uh, early high school that was just obsessed with, with film production. Um, it was, gosh, it would have been back in like 2002 and not nonlinear editing was brand new, right? Final cut one had just come out. And so my high school, I was really fortunate to, to have the opportunity to take like film production classes in high school. So that was sort of the beginning. Um, I went to film school, um, got an undergraduate degree in film production from TCU, um, which my parents were totally supportive of, which was great. Um, I originally, you know, originally the plan was, Hey, let's finish film school. Let's go to Los Angeles. Um, you know, sleep on someone's couch for a couple of years, do the production assistant thing, work my way up into big studio filmmaking. So that did not happen. I decided to pivot, um, near the end of film school and kind of specialize more in documentary storytelling. Um, okay. without like, without unwrapping the whole story, I had a good friend of mine who I went to college, um, and he went into the Marines. And so, uh, it was during his third tour in Iraq that he, um, he died. And it was, for me, it was this heartbreaking thing. And, Instead of that kind of pushed me instead of going into like Hollywood or big studio filmmaking, I thought, you know, maybe I should get into journalism. Maybe I should start studying Middle Eastern politics. Maybe I should get into like nonprofit storytelling. And so what I did is I ended up moving to the East Coast um, after college and I got a job with um, CBN News. So it's the Christian Broadcasting Network. And I worked okay. for them as a news news photographer for, I don't know, three years, four years. And then from there, I jumped into working for nonprofits and started to sort of um, specialize in like nonprofit marketing, nonprofit storytelling, higher end production, documentary filmmaking. Um, and and then from there, I actually worked for a disaster relief organization for a few years. And then from there, jumped into my, my current role. Uh, it's evolved a little bit, but my current role at Compassion, which is basically just to tell stories um, and to, mm. to travel and to do or do the do the higher end production, the, the photography work, the film production work, uh, a lot of it's documentary based. So, uh, so yeah, now I lead a team at Compassion. I've been in Compassion for oh, like almost eight and a half years. Um, so, so I've I've been in Compassion for a good bit of time now, and uh, I have a team of storytellers who work for me, um, and they're just incredible f- filmmakers, photographers. Uh, we have a production coordinator. And so all those folks work together. And we, and we have a big agency budget too. So we kind of um, – we try to um, – you know, we, we tried to set up the team in a way where we could accomplish a whole lot of creative projects without having this big creative team internally. 
Um, and so, yeah, we, every, every gosh, this past year, we, I think we probably produced, I don't know, 120 videos. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, even, even during COVID, we were able to really ramp up our digital kind of production and storytelling to support, uh, compassion this last year, which was, uh, which was very needed in the digital space. So, so yeah, uh, been in compassion for eight and a half years, uh, lead a team of storytellers and, um, and I work on a larger team that serves kind of the global, um, sort of like our global marketing, um, organization. So compassion has, uh, offices like fundraising offices in, uh, 11 high income countries. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, I work with them closely to make sure they have what they need to do their fundraising and marketing. So anytime someone says, Hey, we've got a big idea for this, you know, really expensive video or this big, big, expensive creative idea. Um, my team often gets involved in that. Um, so, so yeah. And then, you know, it might be helpful to set up compassion, compassion international. Um, it's, it's a organization that's been around for a long time. Uh, it was started yeah. in the late fifties, uh, after the Korean war and, um, and right now, kind of current day, we work in 25 low-income countries and we serve just over 2 million children who are in our program. Uh, so they come from tw- these 25 low-income countries across East Africa, West Africa, South America, Central America, um, and, uh, and Southeast Asia. And so we work with, with local churches uh, in these low-income countries to deliver Compassion's program. And it, it, it's really contextual. It looks a little different everywhere. But for the most part, it's sort of it's sort of holistic child development is what we say. So it really comes down to what do the kids need in that community. So oftentimes it's some educational support, it's food support, it's um, infrastructure support. Uh, so we, we do a lot to make sure that these children um, over the course of, of being in our program are, are released from poverty. And that looks a little different everywhere. But, uh, but yeah, that's what Compassion does. And we do that through a sponsorship model. So, you know, you can sponsor a child. Um, and develop a relationship, write letters, um, kind of speak into a child's life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the hope is that over, you know, the, the 10, 15 years that children are in our program, that they really see sort of this, this spiritual, cognitive, emotional development that happens that um, really releases them from poverty, breaks the cycle of, of poverty, and that they can go on to be, you know, change agents in their own communities. And, um, and gosh, it's, it's like, it happens, you know, it, it's totally happening. And, and I tell people all the time, especially if they sponsor a child, I tell them all the time, it's, it's real, like it's super real. Um, yeah. it, it's a really good model for development. Um, so yeah, long winded answer to your question, but hopefully no, that, that's that great. sets it up. Okay. Yeah. So as, as creative manager and overseeing these larger teams, are you getting to shoot yourself anymore or direct yourself anymore? Or have you been kind of removed from that and are just now overseeing and delegating and, and producing? Yeah, that's a good question. That's, uh, that's a tension in my work. So I came <laughs> up out of production, right? And, and it, you, you did too. And so I think a part of me will always want to hold a camera and shoot. And so I tell, yeah. you know, it, it's at this point, my, the, the, the folks that work for me and, and the agencies that I work with, they're all more talented than I am. And that's, that's like on, that's purposeful, right? That's, that's how it should be. So at this point, the people I've surrounded myself with are often much better than I am. That being said, um, 
I still cannot help it. I'll take photos and shoot video. And so like when we make a film, like two or three shots will be mine. But like the vast majority of what's being shot is, is someone <laughs> way more talented than I am. And that that's good. So I tell people, you know, if you see me in the corner taking photos or shooting video while, while I'm producing or directing, um, don't be offended and don't feel like you have to shoot what I'm shooting. Uh, it's so, yeah, at this point, I'm, I'm, most of my time is spent directing and, and building teams and developing people and, um, making sure that we, we, we are putting, putting together the right teams to go execute whatever creative that we're making. Also too, my time is increasingly spent on sort of understanding the marketing landscape. Um, mm. compassion is really committed, uh, recently to data driven, uh, data driven, like experience, um, and insight. So, we try really hard to understand who our supporters are, why they sponsor a child, why they support Compassion's, um, uh, why they support Compassion's mission, what their own personal mission is, and and a lot of that comes out through like you know if my marketing friends out there may relate to this, but a lot of that comes out through segmentation and journeys and journey mapping and personas, and so we do a lot of sort of insight and research, and then. A lot of my job now is how do we how does that transfer into the creative space, right? So if we're going to go make mm-hmm. a film or shoot photos, how do I connect that to an insight we have about our audience or about who supports um, compassion and why? So I think my time is really spent too, like understanding what our marketing teams need and why, and helping them with a little bit of that strategy and connecting it to some of the data. So so yeah, it's it's full spectrum. Um, I will say my favorite part of the, the job is still telling stories. I do get to edit a little bit. I do still get to take photos and edit photos. And, um, but most of my time is not spent doing that anymore. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, now why do you think storytelling is so important and specifically, um, for within the nonprofit and ministry sector? Why, why is, I mean, storytelling is kind of a hot topic in, in marketing. Um, over the last handful of years, we see the commercial space big into it and, kind of the I think the ministry space has lagged behind there's a desire to tell stories and tell them better but um why 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 do you think storytelling is so important oh it is for sure I'll echo what you said it's it is super important um I actually am of the belief that like storytelling has always been important um and so I I I agree with you it feels like especially over the last 10 years, nonprofits have sort of, um, have sort of gone at um, nonprofits of all sizes have started to go after storytelling more seriously as a way to fundraise. I don't know why it's taken them so long to catch up. Mm. Um, I think, I think sometimes when people say storytelling, they actually mean video or like yeah. visual storytelling. And I think that's where nonprofits have not done a good job. And And I think some of it is, kind of like, uh, the cost of entry has been really high until, you know, I, I, so I think there's a sort of correlation between, um, the cost of entry to visual storytelling. Nonprofits have, have really had trouble doing that, um, in the past because, because it was so expensive and technology as technology has, um, gotten better and the cost of that has gone down. Um, nonprofits have had a chance to sort of jump into it, right? And it's not a coincidence that like independent filmmaking over the last 20 years has has exploded. Um, you And YouTubing and vlogging has exploded because you can go buy a $1,000, $2,000 camera. And if, if you're creative, you can you can really create a personal brand. And, um, yeah. 
and I think I think nonprofits, much like sort of independent filmmakers or YouTubers, they've seen the opportunity and they've been able to jump into the market visually with their storytelling. Like Compassion, years ago, back in the seventies, Compassion used to do this television program, and they would spend a ton. I mean, at the time, you know, the, in the seventies, it was a ton of money. They would spend a ton of money on these television programs, and they would broadcast it, and they would they would actually raise a lot of money doing that. Uh, but it was so expensive, right? And it was like once a year, Compassion would would like produce this TV series and they would broadcast it. Um, now with with YouTube and, and these like open social channels, uh, the barrier is so low. You can get your content in front of people so quickly. Um, so I, I think all of those things are kind of swirling together. And nonprofits have said, "Man, we need to jump jump into this." So you know it. it so I think um, I think storytelling has always been important. Like Jesus told stories, he used parables to communicate these really advanced concepts. And he, and parables not only were they well structured stories, but they were contextualized to people's experiences. We often mm-hmm. miss that part of it. Is is like yeah, conflict resolution. You know, the, like story structures is so important, but also like contextualizing a story so someone can understand it culturally. That's also a really big part of storytelling. So so I think that's always been around. Uh, and that's always been important, but the visual storytelling, the barrier is so low now that even small nonprofits can take advantage of it. Um, and, uh, but it, it's just new territory. Like there's so, there's so, it's so overwhelming. There's so many channels, YouTube, TikTok, um, and they, they change so fast. Uh, you know, the, 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 the way we can tell stories. I mean, just even like, maybe you remember this, the craze of 360 filmmaking a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. um, like a couple of years ago, everybody wanted to make 360 films and like that fizzled out. Um, and the marketing, the marketing numbers behind that were just really low. There was not a strong ROI, at least for compassion. There was really not a strong ROI to 360 filmmaking. Um, so these, you know, my point is these new technologies pop up and nonprofits don't really know what to do with them. Podcasting is a great example. What in the world is a, is a nonprofit supposed to do with a podcast? Who's the audience? Like, what are the metrics to study the success of a podcast? There's just these, these new things are popping up so quickly that nonprofits, if you just pause for a second, you can miss it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's intimidating for, especially for small to medium sized nonprofits, even a conversion, <laughs> we're a really large nonprofit and we, um, Often we move so slow that it's hard to catch some of these new things w- when they when they pop up and take advantage of them. So, you know, I don't know, but it, it kind of remains to be seen, right? I think things are changing so fast that maybe ten years from now we'll look back and say, "Gosh, why did we miss this or that?" It's easy to look backwards and say, "Wow, we really missed the trend here in terms of of storytelling." Yeah. Um, and but I think when you're in it and you're managing the day to day operations of everything else, it's easy just to like like put that um, put that in the background. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the the barriers that we've seen is ministries are are busy doing what they've been called to and they are the the act of marketing and storytelling um just kind of gets lost in the weeds because they're focused on whatever they are called to. So that's a big part of it. I think that there is um yeah, you have those experience barriers, but I love what you said that that Jesus told stories. I think God primarily chose to speak to us through scripture, which is a collection of stories. And so it's obviously a, it's obviously storytelling is such an important piece to the character of God. Like he, that we know as humans that we are wired to 
function well in community and and such a huge piece of that is storytelling like we that's how we engage with others i'm going to share how my day went with you today through telling a story of what my day looked like and right and it's ingrained in us as a species like this this is how we emotionally engage with one another and so it makes sense that um, it would have power in a marketing space to try to um, communicate hey here's what we're doing not not in a manipulative way, um, but and in an inspiring way. Like Simon Sinek says, the 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 way to influence people's behaviors through inspiration, not manipulation. And so, I think it has um, significant ramifications for the ministry space if we would simply go start telling stories, or, or if you already are, tell more stories. I mean, it's not. Um, I I uh, I had a ministry tell me that we've we have we've tried the transformational life change story before and it didn't work and and i asked how many life transformation testimonial style documentary style stories had they told in the last 3 years and they said 3 <laughs> so once a year they were telling a life transformation story of what was going on through their organization and expecting mm-hmm. that to be the the thing that was a silver silver bullet like this is something that we need to be doing on a regular and consistent basis um, as often as we can because we know that God is working in really incredible and powerful ways and he's doing that type of stuff often. He's working in sure. transforming people's lives often. Hmm. And so go and testify of what he's done. I think it's such an important um, thing for ministries to to take advantage of and, and start implementing. Yeah, and I would, I would add – I would add a, an extra thought there. I, I think, um, I think so many organizations and ministries historically have seen their and rightly so they've seen their work product as whatever their mission is. Right, like for compassion, it's releasing children from poverty, all mm-hmm. the working with children in those low income countries. That's that's what we do, um, and we could be so focused on that that we lose sight of the fact that we're also here to serve those that partner with us to accomplish that mission, if that yeah. makes sense. And, and I think a lot of ministries lose that. They lose that perspective of, yeah, they have this mission that they're trying to accomplish. And it's super important. I get that. Uh, but also they have an obligation to also serve the people who are partnering with them in that mission. Yeah. Um, and so often it's like, you know, I'm going to throw a gala and I'm going to try to like get a bunch of, of money and that's going to sustain us for, you know, three to four months. Um, and, and it's like this one time a year where they create an event, uh, to serve the people who partner with them. What, and so then the question is, what does it look like to change that and to create an experience where throughout the whole year, there are these strategic touch points where you're actually creating a really remarkable partnership experience with an organization. And it's so easy for me to say that on your podcast. It's another thing to actually implement it like right. in an organization, but it's so important to treat those partners like real partners. And, and I think there's no better way to keep them engaged and to have a remarkable partnership experience through storytelling. I think that's like, that's how we can use, I mean, the stories are, can be useful in so many ways, but in terms of just like treating your donors, um, whatever size, treating them with, with respect and keeping them engaged and creating a good experience for them, that's done through storytelling. 
I think that's yeah. one of the primary ways to do that. So some nonprofits are so focused on just that mission. And I know that's important, but also their secondary mission or potentially even equal, equal mission is to serve those that are partnering with them to accomplish that. Um, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a hard mindset to switch and, and like outside of nonprofit world, that's experience design, right? It's like, look, if, if someone's using my toothpaste as a product, how do I, how do I speak to them and make sure I'm meeting a problem they have? Mm-hmm. Um, so like what problem do your donors have? What problem, do, those that support your organization, what problem do they have and how are you going to solve it? And I, you know, I think, I think so easy, we can be so focused on the toothpaste, right? Like what, whatever that is for us, again, for compassionate releasing children from poverty, like we can be so focused on that, that we lose sight of like how we should be serving those that partner with us. So I'm kind of repeating myself, but I think that's a, that's a really difficult mindset and switch to enact in an organization. Um, yeah. and, uh, and like for-profit companies are successful. Big brands are successful because they do, because they do that. Like Nike mm-hmm. for Nike, it's not about making really great shoes. I mean, it is, they spend a lot of time and money on that. They make really incredible shoes, but at Nike, it's way more than that. It's, it's the intersection of like athleticism and brand and, and, uh, and hero for them, right? Their mm-hmm. shoes are like, yeah, they make great shoes, but when you wear Nike shoes, Nike wants you to feel something. And that, that feeling of like, just go do it. That feeling is so powerful. It's adding something to you as a person and meeting a need you have, right? It's not just about the shoes. And I think nonprofits mm-hmm. need to figure out what that looks like for them. Well, yeah, it, it's basic content marketing, right? How do I provide value for in this, in the ministry sector? How do I provide value for my donor base? How do I, how do, and, and that is a hard thing to do, right? We're asking them to invest in our organizations. How do I provide value when my service is directed towards and designed to be, um, provided for a beneficiary, not the donor? Totally. And so how, how do we provide value to that donor? I say this all the time in our courses and when we're consulting with ministries is there's intrinsic value in sharing the story of a transformed life. Like mm-hmm. sharing those stories is of value to a donor. They, like, we know this to be true. Scripture tells us again to go testify, go share what Jesus has done in, in your life and in the lives of, in this case, the beneficiaries that our organizations are designed yeah. to serve and, and help. And so in sharing that story in simply sharing that story without, I, this is also what I, we encourage a lot, like without a financial ask tied to it, you talked about the galas and like, we don't have to ask for money every single time we have a touch point with a donor. Yeah. Like go share that story. That is a value add to that donor who's hearing that story. And we don't have to ask for donations or investment at that point. Let's just provide value up front like that. And then when we do run our gala or we do run our end of year campaign or whatever it is, you know, we've provided them value by telling a handful of stories up front, but mm-hmm. now they're ready to go, oh yeah, I see God working in this organization in really incredible and powerful ways. Now I'm ready to invest. Right. So right. yeah, I, th- I think there is value in just simply sharing those stories and, and it's powerful. And, and nonprofits, nonprofits are so guilty of, and, and all companies do this, but nonprofits especially, they're guilty of creating like a really incredible video. They spend a bunch of money on it or whatever a bunch of money is to them. They spend a bunch of money on it and, you know, the fingers crossed, they post it to YouTube and they, they might Google like keywords, you know, and they put it in, in YouTube the right way. And then, <laughs> and then they, like they hit post and they sit back and they watch it over a month 
and then they're shocked when it doesn't work. Um, and that's like, that's not, that's not how, like, that's just not fundamentals of marketing. That's not how it works. And especially with an experience, like your content and storytelling should, should represent a journey, right? Like an experience that somebody goes on with your organization. Um, and there are different points of that experience that should influence the way you're telling stories. And it just like sounds so obvious, right? Um, like the, the way you, and it's true for all brands, but especially true for nonprofits. I think you have to think about how are people interacting with your organization at different points of their own experience. And that should influence the kinds of stories and the kind of content you're serving. Um, and even like, even that is a huge step forward. Thinking through that is a huge step forward for small, medium, even big organizations don't do that well. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's just sort of like, it's sort of journey mapping, um, is what it is and figuring out how that changes the way you tell stories. Um, so it's, it's a tough thing to do and it takes a little bit of time, but that's, that's, I think when you can open up the power of storytelling, right. Is when it's part of a larger experience. That's just my Mm -hmm. personal belief. So that's hard to do. Yeah. Well, so compassion, we all are familiar with compassion and most of our audience should be. You guys are a large organization. You have immense reach and impact. You talked about the 2 million kids that are being sponsored. That's incredible. So how do you go about choosing the stories that you guys decide to tell? Yeah. um, So we, so we do a ton of storytelling, right? So, so let me just set scope for a second. We have a photojournalist full time that works for us in every country that we, we do our program in. So, so, I mean, that's 25 photojournalists full time. They're telling stories full time, shooting photos, writing editorial. Um, my team, we, we're doing, you know, a hundred videos a year, uh, for, for like the first time ever, compassion. And we, you know, this is such an immense responsibility. So I don't say this in a way to like highlight how grand we are. But I say this as a, as a heaviness of responsibility and accountability. We, for the first time, we hit a billion dollars in terms of our our, our yearly budget, and mm-hmm. we we had to like pause and look at each other and say, "Oh my gosh, like we are we're becoming we're becoming one of the larger nonprofits in the world." And and with that, there's so much accountability and, and trust that our supporters have put uh, on us. And and so so that being said, storytelling can be done cheaply it can be done in sort of an expensive way and we do uh sort of full uh, my two-year-old is screaming in the background no worries no worries here so like so he's just working from home i have a little side office here and uh, so he is um my wife hey we're all we're all doing it yeah yeah so <laughs> you hear him screaming back there as i talk about like child development um so, so how do we choose our stories um we we have to sit down and we have to think about why are we telling the story? Who are we telling the story to? Where are we telling the story? Um, and, and how much money should we put into it? I think those are big questions for us. A story, a, a video that's going on YouTube should be different than a video that's played at an event. Um, mm. and, and a video, like we, we have a really strong partnership with Hillsong. We love Hillsong as an organization. They are such a great partner of ours. Um, Hillsong um, you know, puts on these big, big events, uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands, they'll fill up a whole stadium for these big, like color conference and other big, wonderful conferences and a film at color, like a, a big conference, a film at the color conference is really different than a film that we like put on Facebook. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so, so also too ROI, like return of investment. I like to actually say return of impact, but so return on investment, that's a big question for us. If I go spend a hundred thousand dollars on a film, 
um, I need to have a really strong ROI potential attached to that. You know, if I go spend a hundred thousand dollars on a film for accountability, accountability reasons and impact reasons, I need to, I need to be raising millions of dollars off of that film. Right. Um, right. I cannot go cause, cause compassion, the majority of our fund, uh, fundraising is sponsorship and, and like my mom sponsors a child in Rwanda. So every month my mother writes a check to compassion and it's, I think it's like $38 a month to sponsor a child. It's actually, it's a triplet. So it's a really fun story. But, um, so my mom sponsors one of these triplets in, in, uh, Rwanda. And so every month she writes a check for $38. And that's the vast majority of our fundraising is we have millions of, of sponsors who are writing that check every month. And so we have that in the back of our minds. If I go do a $40,000 film, um, that's a lot of $38 checks. Right. And so I need to make sure I need to be absolutely sure um, that that I'm going to go spend that money with a strong ROI attached to it because that's just responsible. I I ask my team all the time, like you know, th- this last week we were having a conversation about upgrading equipment. Should we upgrade our cameras and get new equipment? And um and we sometimes have to pause and say, should we? Do we really need to do this? Do we really need to spend X amount of money on this thing? Is that really going to make a difference? So I think so. I think those are the those are the big things we talk about. But um, but yeah, for sure. Like we need to we write we we're big on creative briefs. So my team, whenever we want to do anything, it starts with a creative brief of like, why are we telling the story? What's the objective? Where's it going to be used? Like, how is this serving our audience? Is it, is it engagement? Is it retention? Is it acquisition? What part of the journey is it? And so we have a a lot of storytelling we do. If you go to Compassion's website, we're telling a new story every day on the blog, on Facebook. Sometimes it's micro content. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's a really big film. Um, We're doing all of these projects and stories. Ultimately, ultimately it's all serving this experience that people have with Compassion, right? And, And they all come from like, whether you're brand new to sponsoring a child, whether you, you've you never heard of compassion and you're hearing about compassion for the first time, or maybe you've been sponsoring a child for 15 years and you just found out that child is graduating our program, which is amazing, and you have a decision to make. Are you going to sponsor a new child or are you going to say goodbye to compassion forever because you had a bad experience? And so we have to think about all that whole journey of experience and and, and tell stories targeted to that. Um, because, because again, we're a big organization. There's a lot of money that's going into our program and we owe it to our supporters to treat that really seriously and responsibly. So I'm really passionate about that. And I hope that comes across because like, you know, we're not selling toothpaste and, and I don't mean to like, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Um, but you know, the work we're doing is like life-saving work. Right. Um, and every dollar I spend on like a new camera or a film. That's not a dollar that's going to our program um, and helping children like be released from poverty. So we care deeply about that. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of kind of strategic work. So I don't, I hope that's not too ethereal of an answer, but the reality is there's a lot of strategy on the front end that goes into deciding what are we going to tell, how, and why those are the big things. And if we don't know that, I'm not going to let a team get on a plane and go travel somewhere. I'm not going to like let one of our writers spend time writing a story. We just, if we don't have that figured out yet, we're not going to jump into the creative. That's just too premature. So right. we're just too big at this point. Well, I think that that is maybe some of the fears that ministries have that, you know, I don't want to, we don't want to spend however many dollars it is to tell this high production value film. 
because that's money that we could be putting towards our cause. But there, there has to be that investment in storytelling and marketing for your cause to be, for there to be, to be attention and awareness around what your organization uh, is doing. Um, You talked about the stewardship piece um, being such an important piece to, to the stories that you tell and, and all of your marketing efforts. Like we want to make sure that we're stewarding these funds. Well, totally. Uh, on the on the flip side of that, like I think that we can be in this in the ministry space, there can be um, an exploitation of story for marketing purposes, right? And so, how do you guys go about making sure that you're not just exploiting stories for the financial benefit of your organization? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it, to be cheesy, like with that Spider-Man quote, like with great power comes great responsibility. Storytelling <laughs> is, is a really emotional endeavor. And, um, it's a, it's like a chemical brain thing too, right? Um, mm-hmm. dopamine is released in your, when you hear a story and you hear the resolution to a story, dopamine is released in your brain. It's, it's like a, it's, there's like a chemical reaction happening in your brain. Um, storytelling can be addicting, addicting. We all know this, like we watch Netflix and, and like we have our favorite Netflix documentary or series or whatever. And like TV show and it's addicting. Like it's easy to like ignore your kids and watch TV. Cause it's so, enter- it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to use that carefully. Um, and I would, I would even, I would even say like, everybody has to use that carefully. Um, regardless of, of like what, where you work in the sector, but storytelling is such a powerful thing. So, and, and I would put exploitation into two buckets on one hand. And, and this is almost more important. I'm more worried about exploiting those children and frontline staff who are in our program. So on one hand, it's really important to my team to tell true authentic stories and to not exaggerate, to not overreach, to not like fictionalize, um, there's so many incredible stories from the the front lines of our program, and we have to be really careful to tell those truthfully. Um, like we are not making fictional films, right? We are humanitarian. We're doing humanitarian storytelling that requires like awareness and honesty and authenticity in our storytelling. So I can't exploit the characters in our stories. On the other hand, I also don't want to be exploitative or manipulative with our audiences. Storytelling is an emotional endeavor. So like set that aside. Um, I think there's a trend in all, um, I was just actually talking to our, our like tier fund New Zealand partners yesterday, um, about this. There's a trend now, uh, to avoid some of that guilt ridden white savior type marketing, right? That was really popular like 25, 30 years ago where it, like marketing and storytelling was really manipulative and it was very white savior and it was very guilt ridden. Um, and we, we don't do that anymore. Um, we try really hard to balance the truth, the truth and the nature of poverty. Cause, cause like extreme poverty on the front lines of our program, it's really ugly. Um, and, and not a lot of people have seen that level of, po- like not a lot of people in Western countries have seen that level of poverty. So extreme poverty is really dangerous. It's an ugly thing. So how do we tell that story truthfully, but not in a way that makes someone feel really guilt ridden? Um, I think that's a challenge we face daily because that respects the audience as well as the people that we're interacting with um, hmm. that are that are actually characters in our story. So there, there's a lot of time and attention paid to that. Um, and I've got countless stories of where we did that really well and a few stories where we didn't do a great job. And we we did either exploit or manipulate the audience in a way that I was uncomfortable with. Um, so so I think it's just something you have to be aware of and work at and improve and, and protective. I, you know, I have um, – 
uh, a person that's on our larger team who spends a lot of time working through sensitive messaging and dignity guidelines. And like, are we allowed to shoot a child, you know, in this sort of a, an environment or should we sh- shoot a child in this sort of an environment or like, how do we, how do we tell stories of, of, uh, of um, human trafficking or child labor or, um, you know, these, these t- like early marriage, how do we, I'm working on a film on early marriage right now. How do we do that in a way that's compelling that w- that gets people to act uh, but also in a way that doesn't exploit the audience and doesn't exploit the people appearing in the film. And that's something we have to work at constantly. And it's something a little more unique to nonprofits, right? Um, so yeah, that's like a huge, you and I could spend like three hours just talking about that um, <laughs> for sure. So it's a hard thing. Yeah. 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 I, I think um, it, it's, it's trying to find that balance between the hardship, the realities that exist, the the conflict of the story, right? But mm-hmm. not centering in and focusing on that completely. Like when we sure when we only tell the things that are hard about poverty, but and then leave it at that, mm-hmm. you're you're leaving out part of the story, and um, that can be that manipulative guilt marketing. But on the flip side, I think there's this is a trend. Um, coming out of those years when that's all it was, was, was the, the white guilt type stories that, that heavy guilt marketing, like flies on kids faces with a cleft palate. And that's all you saw, you know, we've, we've seen all those films, but on the flip side of that, there, there's been this trend on the other side where on, we only have focused on the hope that exists and, and the, like the reality is that this is not the, the work that all of our organizations are doing is not roses and sunshine. And, and like, there's some really hard things about what exists within our work, whatever the cause is. And so we, I, th- I think it's important to try to fa- find that balance between, Hey, here's the reality. Here's the, the conflict that does exist. This is the, is, this is a hard thing. This is a hard issue that we're, we're seeking to resolve, but there is hope within this. There is, Christ is stepping into this brokenness and doing some really cool stuff. And so we can be honest about both of those things. And I think it's a, it's a matter of finding the balance between those and not centering on or focusing on one or the other. Um, sure. Because yeah, just focusing on the hope and, and the roses and sunshine of the story that can be just as much guilt marketing as only sure. focusing on the hardship. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I will, I will add too, like, um, at least in my experience, covering disasters, um, like working in post-conflict zones, um, seeing these terrible things that are happening to, to people's mm-hmm. children, like children are so vulnerable, especially children living in extreme poverty. Um, I have always, always found hope. And I think that's so important. Um, yeah. and, and, and to your point, there's a balance between, reporting on the reality of something. I, I, I encountered this all the time when I was a disaster. I was doing disaster photography for years. Um, like I can shoot a photo of a of person standing on a pile of rubble and you will instantly see the conflict and the, like the, the um, sort of the, the extreme circumstance of someone. Mm-hmm. And um, but also too, as, as especially as like a humanitarian storyteller, it's important to still go after that source of hope. Cause there always is one there's, there's yeah. like, it's, it maybe just feels cheesy to say, but I have never once not found in, in a, like a, a crazy circumstance of, of, um, of conflict. I've never 
I've never not found somebody that was willing to help, a church that was like willing to do something, someone that was a hero, someone that was was like running towards this bad thing that was happening that was was willing to help. Um, those mm. people always exist. And I think that's like, you know, I I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's an incredible humanitarian photographer, and she says this so well. Um, you know, she says that like there is always hope in our work and, and as humanitarian storytellers, it's important to find that. Um, not to downplay the bad thing that's happening, but but also yeah. to represent the flip side of it. And um, you know, and truthfully, I think nonprofits do struggle with this because it's some of the finer details of like storytelling of how much hope is in a story um, that can be that because people can be really moved to action even if there's not a lot of hope in a story. But I, I think that does not do a service to the, the people and the heroes that are that are in our true stories. Um, so it's it's a really like finite detail of storytelling, um, but you know, as a nonprofit, you want to get somebody engaged. You want to get them off their couch, donating, doing. I mean, donating time, like doing something, telling people about this issue or this cause. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you want to do it in a way that like offers them a, a glimmer of hope, um, because we have that in Christ. Um, especially as like faith faith based organizations, we have that hope in Christ, and it's important to like still represent that and that just knowing that line is super difficult. Yeah. So, well, and, and that's just the character of Christ, right? He steps into the mess. He's all, that's, that's why we, like I've, I've experienced the same thing, no matter how difficult the situation I'm, I have in front of my camera or any, any time I've traveled, like there always is that hope. You're right. And, and that is just his character. He is always yeah. stepping into the mess. He's always stepping like, that's the, that's the, gospel message right he comes he totally. comes into our mess that we created steps into it and makes a way out of it and so right. um that that's i agree that's that's such right. a it's always there it's, like, it's crazy well the, the gospel is like literally the good news right it's not the gospel does not mean the bad news like there is a little right. bit of bad news in there but it is it is literally the good news and so i think um i think we can model that in our storytelling for sure yeah mm. So the, I think that's a, a good segue. Something that you said towards the end there um, stuck out. But um, how do you guys connect and relate the stories that you're telling from the field with your audience? Because I think it can be difficult at times to make a film engaging uh, with a story from the field when your audience doesn't share that same like, cultural experience as the beneficiary in that film, sure. right? So what has Compassion done in its storytelling to engage across those cultural gaps. Yeah. I, I kind of, there's a couple of different ways I could answer that. Um, and so I, am going to answer it in a, a way that just feels recent to conversations we're having lately. Um, storytelling is most effective when you're contextualizing it for an audience. And, and, and so I need to know who's going to hear the story. Who are they? The people that are going to be hearing my story, who are they? What do they care about? Uh, and, and the better, and that, that is a lot of hard work who like knowing who's going to listen to your story and who's going to be received on the receiving end. Um, and if I know that I can better frame the story to things they care about. That's just like serving people well through storytelling. Right. Um, so I think, so I think that's step one, know your audience and know what they care about and how that, how that carries implications to your storytelling. Um, for example, a lot of supporters of compassion they they um they 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 care about the movement of compassion 
They, they want to be part of this movement that releases children from poverty, right? They want tools and resources to go to their own networks and, and like to tell their friends and say, look, you need to know about these things that are happening to kids, the, the vulnerabilities that the children in extreme poverty. Like, so there's like, there's different people. Everybody's different. And you need to know how people are different. You need to get to know them. And, and then that way you can frame your story in a more effective way. Um, so, so on one hand, like it's knowing who's going to listen to your story. Um, on the other hand, it's, it's just like classics of story. It's like the classic structure of storytelling. You need to have relatable characters. Uh, and then two, I think it's important at the end of every story to reflect, like there needs to be a reflection, um, uh, that connects to like a greater human truth that we all experience, right? Like, here's an example, like a, a complex story about a mother who's like fighting for her child's survival. This is a story we hear all the time. A mother shows up uh, with a young, with like an infant or a young baby shows up to our program with, with something going on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we, ad- we admit th- that child into our program and then we see impact and change. Right. Um, and so this, the, like that has a meta theme almost of you know, mothers deeply care for their children. Mothers are willing to do anything for their kids to give them yeah. a shot at life. So, so I think it's important as storytellers, ultimately like stories, yeah, we need conflict and resolution and like story structure is important and like relatable characters are important, but at the end you have to connect it to a broader human experience that we all have. And I think like that's the difference between a good story and a great story. Um, we, we finished a film recently called Francisco. It's about a young man in Colombia who, um, you know, he really escaped the sort of generational poverty that he experienced. Um, off, he grew up off the coast of, of uh, northern Colombia. His father was really involved in, in gangs and criminal, criminal activity. And uh, his mother sort of dumped him on the, the front steps of his great-grandfather's home. So he's raised by his great-grandfather. It's an incredible story. Um, and at the end, very end of the story, there's one soundbite from, um, from some project staff. And uh, this, this project staff person, she says, you know, Francisco, this is an example of someone who's a new creation in Christ. Um, but that is something we can all relate to, right? We're all a new creation in Christ. Um, that is something we can all relate to. Yes, Francisco's story is unique, and there's parts of his story that are incredible and fantastic. But at the end of it, there's this greater reflection that we can all connect with. And I think that's the difference between a good and a great story. Like, what is that broader human truth that we're connecting to? And that, you know, that this is one thing I like for an interview tip. I always like finish an interview and I say, like, reflect with me. What does this story mean? Like, what does this story mean? Why is it important? Why are we telling the story? Um, so often we're so focused on the details of telling a story that we forget to reflect on the, like ultimately the meaning of it. And then we forget to put that in the film. Like people need to know why they're listening to a story. Um, and if you can like promise that to somebody, uh, and, and actually deliver on that promise you've made, uh, that's huge. Hmm. Um, so like this, the, to tie back to this example, this film, Francisco, the story starts with Francisco is like walking through a church. And, um, and the opening soundbite is Francisco had an encounter with Christ. Um, so the, in the first 10 seconds of the film, you know what it's about, sort of, right? We've made a promise to you. You're about to hear a story of someone who's had a life change. Um, and then at the end of the story, we emphasize it again with another soundbite, right? Like I said, it's this, this, this guy is a new creation in Christ. Um, and so I, that's, an, that's like <coughs> the reflection is so critical. Um, and it's like, mm. um, 
you know, um, Brian, uh, is it Brian Reed? I think Brian Reed is like a, this American life producer. He's got a, and I would say anybody should, anybody that's a storyteller should go watch this. He does a great talk. Um, and it's on YouTube. If you search like Brian Reed and storytelling, it'll pop up. Um, he does a great talk on how important this is, this kind of reflection in storytelling, right? It, you're telling someone why you're telling the story in the first yeah. place. And so often we for, forget that we just forget to like say that, um, so, yeah, I just, yeah. So hopefully that kind of double-edged answer was, was good. You have to know your audience. You have to know who they are. Um, and then on the, the flip side of it, you need to find some sort of like reflection point that offers a reason why you're telling the story in the first place. So. Yeah. And do you guys follow any storytelling structures when you tell stories? Yeah. So like in terms of basics, for sure, you know, um, for me, there has to be something at stake. Like, you know, so there's, there's a, there's, yeah, the basic structure of like setting conflict resolution. That's important. If we don't have that, then, then shame on us. Um, but there's also some finer details that we're looking for. That reflection is one of them. Um, we always try to find something at stake. There's, there's like, I could tell you a story where like, oh, I got, I, you know, this morning I woke up, I, you know, I put my feet, my feet on this like side of the bed. I got up, I went into the bathroom. I, you know, I like started brushing my teeth. I went downstairs. I made my cup of coffee. Um, like I could tell a story that's very linear. Um, but if there's nothing at stake, it's a boring story. A better story is I got up in the morning, I brushed my teeth and went downstairs. I was making my cup of coffee and then I, I spilled that hot, hot coffee, which happens to me like once a week, by the way, I like spilled my <laughs> hot coffee all over my foot cause I wasn't paying attention. Um, and, and like, so when there's something, there's something at stake, um, whatever that conflict is, that's, that's so important. There's something, it has to be something at stake for a story to be powerful. Um, that's and that like a flip a flip, like another way to, to think of that is what would have happened if that, if like no one intervened, like I ask that in interviews all the time. Um, like what would have happened if, if the child hadn't been in compassion's program, what would have happened? Like if someone had said, no, sorry, we, we can't enroll this child in the program. Um, like how, what would have happened? Um, so yeah, life's like this life-saving work happened and, you know, heart surgery, or we, we, we like helped this family or, you know, stopped, stopped this child from dying some way or, you know, help treat malaria or whatever it was like, yeah, we did that. And it saved the child's life. But what would happen if we didn't, um, what would happen if we didn't go into the middle of this community and drill, drill a borehole and they like, what would happen if there was no fresh water? Um, I think that sort of flip side of like, how would have things been different? If, if this hadn't happened, that's really mm -hmm. important because that gets to the heart of like, what's the change? What's the transformation? So that's another thing is transformation is really big for us. Um, and then um, let's see what else. These are kind of big things we're looking for in every story. It doesn't have to land in the exact same spot, but um, yeah, I think that's a good place to like stop. I could keep rambling for a long time about story structure, but, um, but yeah, I think those are the big things for us. So not there's not necessarily a, a framework that you're following with consistency. You're kind of letting each individual story determine the direction you go with that with that piece. Yeah, absolutely. For for us, the process is more it's more production oriented. So it's not necessarily. I don't have like there's not like a slide we all have that says you know setting like conflict transformation resolution reflection like i think um for us that's going to look different every per we're working with true stories they're real stories and right. so um so for us the work is on the front end of 
of doing our pre-production, our research and asking like, is this a story worth telling? Does it have the elements we care about? Is it going to serve us in terms of fundraising and marketing? Um, and is the story complete? That's something we do with all the time is we've, we, we hear this great story and we, we go digging and we do research and we figure out like, I don't think the story's done yet. You know, I don't think the story's over. Um, and you know, you can go tell a story and be there as the story's progressing, like, like true fly in the wall documentary, you know, filmmaking where you're there as the conflict is being resolved or experienced. Like that's great filmmaking. Uh, that's expensive filmmaking, by the way. Right. Um, you know, for us, we have to ask ourselves, is the story finished? Should it be finished? Like, is that needed for this piece of storytelling in, in terms of the marketing that we're doing? Because um, because it's acceptable to go tell a story that doesn't have an end. But as long as you know that and that's what you want, if that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you've experienced this where you show up, you get off the plane, right? You like You like put the batteries in your camera and you go do shoot your first story. And it's like totally different than what you thought. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a hard thing. Cause you want, you should be doing the pre-production research. Cause when you fly to like Burkina Faso in West Africa, you want to be absolutely sure that the story is as you think it is and that it has the elements that you think it does. And you can't always a hundred percent be like dead on with that, but you need to do the work on the front end to make sure the story is what you need. It's like purpose built for whatever mm-hmm. your objective is. So, um, we care, we care way more about that than, um, than we do about like nailing down the formula for a story. But I mean, very truthfully, like my team, they're so great. They're really talented storytellers. And so it is really rare that we have to even have these conversations because it's ingrained in them. What makes a good story? Like that's one of the interview questions I ask when I'm hiring somebody is like, <coughs> I say, what's, what makes a good story? Like what's important to you in a story, right? Just open-ended. And then I'll actually ask them to tell a story. Like I love that interview question. I'll just say, hey, tell me a story. Like sometime that, you know, there's some some like some influential like thing happened in your life. Tell me that story. Because um, good storytellers, like they'll be able to do that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and so so I think the, the people I work with, um, most of them just know that. And actually this gets down to like a – a deeper belief I have that storytelling is actually in us all. It's innate in us all. Like we can mm-hmm. refine that skill, but um, we're all capable of, of telling powerful stories. Um, not that we don't need to develop that skill, but we all have that in us. Um, and, and we, you know, people experience stories all day long. It's actually one of the challenging parts of, of what we do. Zach, I think is, is like, daily everybody experiences stories at the dinner table <laughs> when they're watching tv right when they're listening to music when they're listening to podcasts everybody's experiencing story which makes them feel like an expert um and i, I think everyone has a potential to be an expert and as a storyteller but everyone is experiencing stories which makes them feel like an expert um and and in a way they are because they're consuming content um but also too like there is a craft to develop so i don't want to i don't want to like take away from the craft that storytellers have to develop. But, um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that makes it difficult to tell an engaging story because we're so inundated with already great storytelling on a consistent basis. So yeah, all the more reason to be telling stories well and making sure that we're putting effort into that and not, um, yeah, I think that that's important. Totally. Um, 
how many you, you mentioned you guys tell about 120 stories a year is that right oh so my team made 100 and i think 110 videos this past year um wow and so but but like on our larger team with those photojournalists you know we're doing in terms of uh, just in terms of scale um those photojournalists are doing one to three stories a month and there's 25 of them so you're talking about like it's just story to story numbers. You're talking about thousands of stories. Wow. But, but our audience is big enough and our channels are diverse enough and we work in enough countries uh, in, in terms of fundraising countries that that makes sense for us. Right. Yeah. Um, like, yes, we have a U.S. market. That's the biggest market for us. But also we work in Germany and the UK and Australia, New Zealand. We work in South Korea. And so in terms of scale, we can do that. Like most non most nonprofits aren't that big, and so if you just have a U.S. market, um, like you should. I, I guess what I'm saying is like like if you're a small nonprofit, don't tell a thousand stories. Like you you can't do that. Um, yeah. But um. But yeah. Like we're, well, I we're guess doing what a I'm a lot of what storytelling. I'm, yeah. What I'm getting at is, um, with that many stories coming in, you talked about earlier the importance of having a strategy around sharing that content and not just, you know posting something to YouTube and fingers crossed it gets a thousand, 10,000 views, right? So sure. can you, with the stories that you have coming in on a regular basis, maybe can you kind of walk us through a high level picture of what your content strategies look like? Um, once you've got those stories that it's not centered on just, all right, post and we're on to the next story. Like, what does that look like with with the rollout of those stories to get that in front of your audience. Sure. Yeah. A lot of work goes into that. So we have an editorial calendar. Um, I have my own production calendars. Um, we have a lot of meetings and not, not always meetings. Actually, I try to avoid meetings if I can, but um, <laughs> you know, like we'll have like these quick 15 minute meetings where I'll chat with a marketing team. I'll get on with like a, a marketing director and say, Hey, we're making like, we're thinking about making this thing. What do you think? Um, do you think this would land with your audience? Who is your audience? Why, why, would this film work or not work in, in theory, right? Before we even make, so we'd like test out our concepts before we make something. So we have, we have editorial calendars. We have editorial managers. Um, we, when it comes to more of our like photo editorial work, right? So like non-video stuff, um, we try to have topical and regional diversity. So we're thinking, okay, like, you know, we, we've told a lot of stories of, um, I don't know. Like we told a lot of wash stories from West Africa. We should probably like get some wash stories because, because that works happening everywhere. We should probably get some wash stories from like East Indonesia or like Southeast Asia. Right. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of like topical consideration. There's regional consideration. Mm. Um, we want to make sure that we're telling, um, we're telling relevant stories. So, you know, if, if there's a big, um, our program is so contextual. So the work we do is so different in every country. There's a lot that's the same, but there's a lot that's different. And so how do we make sure we're serving our donors? If, if, if there's like a bunch of donors who are funding this like incredible income generation activity in Kenya or in East Africa, like how do we make sure that we're covering that, right? So a lot of it is just being like in relationship with donor teams, being in relationship with social media teams, being in close conversation and relationship with all these different teams who are serving our supporters. And so we, we build, we're building our teams more and more towards that of like, how do we support and serve um, our supporters? And, and so there's a lot of people at Compassion who are like in charge of that uh, and of knowing their, 
uh, of knowing their neighbors and we go and chat with them. Um, and so we want to make sure that the stuff we're making is relevant to them. Like more tactically speaking, again, we have calendars, we have workflows, we have like project management systems. We have a great digital asset management system where everybody can go and pull those stories and use them. We have content debriefs where after we've made something, we'll share it with, with some of the teams and we'll say, Hey, do you guys think this film is useful? We'll get feedback from them. We use Frame.io. Uh, it's a great platform for video feedback. Um, we have um, a media asset management system we're actually like implementing right now in addition to a digital asset management system. Um, so we we have these like robust processes and systems that allow us to move media, to, like just tactically speaking. How do we get media around the world? That's like a whole nother thing. Um, so I, I think this last year, just like to kind of like end this answer. This last year was crazy for us, as it was for all nonprofits. Not only could we not travel, but our program was like a, our program is brought to the edge this past year. Our program is delivered through frontline church partners. And when countries go into lock, when the Philippines went into lockdown, guess what? The kids couldn't go to the church to receive our program. They couldn't go to like the child development centers. And so, so. So not only did we have to like pivot the way we were telling stories, we had to pivot the way we were fundraising. Uh, a lot of our fundraising was event-based, right? Like big concerts and awesome partnerships with Hillsong and uh, a lot of church events. We couldn't do that. Everything was locked down. So like not only – like how do we tell stories when we can't travel and how do we do mm -hmm. that in a digital space? Because the truth is – um, like we're not, again, I'm not, not digging on like Procter and Gamble here, but we're not selling toothpaste. Um, we, we're, our programs are like this life-saving work for children who are extremely vulnerable, experiencing extreme poverty. And so like, if I don't do my good, if I don't do a good job storytelling and raising money, guess who that impacts? It impacts kids on the front line of our program who are right. in it, more than ever this last year, we're in desperate need of, of, um, of our program. And we not only do we have to find new ways to serve them, we have to find new ways to serve uh, our supporters. And so that was a big lift this last year. And so for us, like to tie it all together, these digital, these digital processes and systems, and, and it, we, we spent more time than ever this last year learning about our supporters and how we can serve them digitally. Um, and we're still doing that. That is going to take years to get better and better and better at that. Um, so, so yeah, like there's a lot I could unpack there. Um, but I think, I think, um, and I'm not saying we're good at any of that. Like we're getting better at it. Right. I don't want to yeah. like create the illusion that we're like killer at doing all of this stuff, but we, we, we have a commitment to being better and better and better as a nonprofit at doing this, but just as good as any of the biggest brand for profit brands on earth. Um, so, and, and like all that said, like the lives of our children depend on it, right. The, in our program who need yeah. our program, who rely on it. Um, so Mm. So what would you what would you say maybe to close us off cl close us out today? Yeah. What would you say to smaller organizations to encourage them to tell this type of stories that we've talked about today more often? Yeah. I would say it starts with knowing who your supporters are. Step 1. Like if you're not if you're not actively talking to your supporters and figuring out who they are, you're going to fail. So step 1 start there. Uh, step two, ask them what kind of stories they, they like. What kind of stories do they want to hear? What would serve them in their journey with your nonprofit? And ask them, like, put yourselves in their shoes. Start with some, some empathy and, and say, what is my experience like as a, as a donor 
working with this small organization, right? And then and then look for for points along that that experience where you could tell stories in an effort to actually improve the experience of of one of your supporters. And then start small. You do not need to be spending like $40,000 once a year on a film. That will fail. Um, what is much, much more likely to succeed is being strategic with your storytelling and say, is this like, is this piece of story? And I would start cheap. Is this piece of story meant to create awareness for our, our nonprofit? Is it meant to like retain a donor? Uh, is it reporting? Is this, this story meant to engage? Is it meant to like, is this story meant to take a, a set of donors who have already given a little bit, but who could give a lot more? Like, could, could a story serve them? Um, and if so, like, what are the implications? Like good agencies will do that. Um, and, uh, but again, it doesn't have to be a lot of money. Just be purposeful. Ask yourself, what is the objective? And I know that sounds so obvious, but so many nonprofits come up with a cool film idea. And this, this happens in compassion still where someone will come to me and even executives will come to me and say, Hey, Brian, we have this sweet idea for a film. And like, maybe it is a cool idea for a film, but we often stop stop those because i mean like trust me zach i love making cool films like i would love nothing more (laughs) than just to make every cool film but often i have to stop and like say to this to this person what is your objective because guess what you may not have to you may be able to achieve that at a a much lower cost you may not like maybe a film isn't right so many people just want to make a video like let's make a video you know but like stop and say maybe one photo would actually serve this purpose maybe like audio would serve this purpose maybe yeah. a nice well written email would serve the purpose so i think it starts with like knowing your audience what and the next step what is the purpose and then the next step is how can i do this in the most like a- accountable way that takes in, takes into account stewardship um and, and if at some point you you look you look around at a room full of people and you say you know what we do need to make a forty thousand dollar film like go forth and make an awesome film, um, uh, but like don't don't land there at first. Um, so also too like just really practically speaking, uh, go develop relationships with universities, local colleges. There are so many kids out there, teenagers, sixteen year olds, eighteen year olds, like that want to tell stories. They're good with their phones. They're good with technology. Go leverage that. Put together an editorial calendar. Ask yourself like, what am I releasing? When and why? When are our big campaigns? Like, oh my gosh, put it on a calendar. You'd be shocked how many nonprofits don't have an editorial calendar and they're they don't like don't have it planned out over the year, right? They don't like they 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 might have like one or two dates on a, on a yearly calendar, but like plan it all out in a calendar and then start to plug in some ideas um, and start to like at like say on Mondays we're going to be doing this. This is who it serves and why. And then like at this point in April, we're going to run a campaign and we feel like this campaign would serve, you know, X, Y, Z audience and um, whatever. I I think, I think like put together a calendar. (laughs) It's such, it's, and it's a hard, like if you're a big organization, that's hard because there's so many people speaking into it. But, um, but man, like fail, fail, fail fast, build small, test things. Don't, and don't go blow like 50 grand on a film without asking why are we making this film? Right. Um, so again, like college kids are great. Go, go like, go get some college kids and interns to make some content for you. Um, storytelling comes in all shapes and sizes. So it's like people are so quick to jump into a video, but also too, like really, really there's, there's a diminishing return. This is important. Can I say this? I know we're running so far over time. So, oh no, um, don't worry about it. Is that cool? Like there's a diminishing return, right? Like if you make a $10,000 film, the $20,000 version of your $10,000 film, it's going to be a little bit better. And, and, but as you add more and more money, that film gets 
incrementally better um, in, in such small ways. Like your $100,000 film is just going to be a little bit better, like a tiny bit better than your $50,000 film. So the, the first, the most movement in terms of quality is in the first $15,000, right? If, if you go, if you say, Hey Ryan, I'm, I, make me a film for a hundred dollars. I'll do it. The, the hundred dollar film is going to be not very good, right? It's going to be my cell phone. I'm going to go quick. I'm going to edit on my cell phone. I'm going to send it to you over email. Like that's a very different video than if you said, Hey, here's $15,000. Um, like that's a very different film, but as you yeah. throw more and more money at something creatively, um, it's going to get like better and better in much smaller ways. So if you spend $2 million on a film, like that film is only going to be a little bit better than a $75,000 film. Truthfully, it's, right. it's going to be a little bit better and nonprofits have to be good at knowing that when it actually makes sense to spend a million dollars on a, on a film, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a tough thing. To, to learn, mm-hmm. like you learn that the hard way for sure. Yeah. Well, for, for a lot of these small to me- medium sized organizations, like compassion is a gigantic organization with a lot of people involved and don't, I think there's a tendency for those small organizations to look at compassion and go, Oh, this is what compassion did, or this is what world vision did, or this is what IJM did this year. And we need to go replicate that because that's what they're doing. It's like, okay, yeah. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's, start a little bit smaller because those organizations have a lot different uh, budget realities than, than our, these smaller organizations. And so how do we, how do we storytell well? Because it's, we've talked about how necessary and important and powerful it is, but not necessarily try to follow everybody else and what they're doing. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's so it's these, these big organizations, we we do a lot of small scale, small scale storytelling that you'll never see. Mm. Right. We do that. Like we do, there are projects where it's like, all right, let's spend like 500 bucks on this. Cause that's all we have for this project. Uh, like it's likely that most people will never see that. Um, but like we, you know, yeah, it just, I, it just eats me when people, when small organizations have this incredible mission, like you were saying this before the, you were saying this before, I think we officially started the, the podcast thing. Yeah. Um, these small organizations have this incredible mission. These like the hearts and minds of people are just so laser focused on this incredible mission and they're just not using story. They're not using storytelling at all and, yeah. n- and not strategic. They're not even doing it at all. Like I would, I would say to people like, don't, if you're real, if there's really just, if there's like no storytelling happening at all, don't even worry about the strategy. Like, I mean, I'm I'd like, I don't want to stick my foot in my mouth because you should, but <laughs> just like, you got to start, you got to start somewhere. Right. Yeah. Like be, be that ambassador for story in your organization. If you're like, if you're a nonprofit with like four people, one of you needs to like learn to be the story ambassador. Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's just so important because it's such a, such a waste of, of what God has given us in terms of our ability to tell stories and connect with people and like develop empathy and action. And like, it is so story-based moving people Mm -hmm. to action is so story-based. Um, and if you're not doing that, then your mission is going to suffer and your mission can't suffer because it's too important. Yeah. Well, Ryan, this has been incredible. You and I, I think could probably talk for three or four hours about this stuff, but um, we gotta, we gotta end somewhere. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about what you're doing at compassion, how can, how can they do so? Sure. Yeah. W- like, gosh, reach out to me, go to compassion.com. Um, if you're looking, f- there are so many organizations that do child sponsorship. I would say this, 
Don't even, don't stress out about where to sponsor a kid. Child sponsorship is an incredible way to change entire countries. It changes a child's life, a community. You can change a city. You can change a country. I I believe this. I think you can make radical impact in the world and it starts small and you can sponsor one child. Like, but I would say this more than anything, more than like plugging compassion, find a cause you care about, get off your couch and go do it. Learn about it. Donate your time. Donate your energy. Um, There are terrible things happening in, in the world, but I would say just like more than plugging compassion, go be the kind of person that's going to make a difference in the world, right? Mm. And get off your couch. There's no better time than right now than than to do that. So compassion.com, if you want to know more about compassion as an organization, um, I have, uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I do a lot of like micro storytelling there. Uh, that is um, uh, at Ryan Johnson Films. Uh, my website is the same, ryanjohnsonfilms.com. Would love to answer questions um, or or uh, it just if anybody wants to connect, I'm here. So feel free. Awesome. Well, can I pray for you real quick before we sign off? Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. Father, I just lift up Ryan and all the storytelling that he's doing. He's uh, such an incredible talent. I thank you for his willingness to um, enter into the invitation that you've given um, to to work with compassion, to storytell on your behalf, to share what you're doing. Father, you're doing some really cool stuff all over the world through compassion and 10,000 other organizations. And so um, we just are so thankful that we get to be a part of that in some small way. And uh, I pray that you would bless compassion, that you would continue to grow and make this organization impactful for your kingdom and, and lead Ryan and his team as they, uh, just go about sharing the stories of how you're doing those incredible things, Father. We know you're you're doing some really cool stuff, and we just want to bring you glory by sharing those stories. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Ryan, amen. thanks so much, man, for being on the show. I appreciate it. This has been awesome. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for the invite. And um, yeah, it's really fun to hang out for a bit. Awesome. Well, have a good rest of your day. Yeah, all right. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.